And so as we're kind of continuing in our trajectory, finishing up our values, we have faithful labor left, and then next week we will look at um, authentic worship. But let me tell you a couple things before we go in and look at this passage. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, as we approach this passage, um, I, I want to make it clear and you've heard me say this time and time again, there are various things we see in Scripture that for some reason we have taken as a suggestion and not a command. Following Jesus demands obedience. And there are things very clearly taught in the Scriptures about how we are to labor, how we are to live. And so as we come to this passage, I want to I make this clear. You're going to have some redundancies here. I'm going to mention some things that we talked about when we looked at the idea of making disciples because this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the idea, okay, if we really say that we, we believe our mission statement, which is simple, follow Jesus, make disciples, now we're to the point where we have to put, put feet on that. What does this look like in our actual life? Does it actually impact the way that we live? And this is the idea of faithful labor, that everything else we've gone through gospel centrality we go through biblical faithfulness we go through um, authentic worship all these other values are that they have their feet in faithful labor and we're going to talk about why I chose that particular language not fruitful labor but faithful labor in just a minute Um, but before we do that we're just going to find that in the text so let's go ahead and read first Corinthians chapter three Um, one of the things we like to do here in the honor of the reading of God's word as we take the opportunity to stand um, in reverence to that. And so if you would, and you are physically able, would you stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 5, says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos' water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one then take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that it is the true authoritative word. And as we approach it this morning, Lord, let us rest in it. Let us rest in its authority. Let us rest in its power. Lord, trusting that it is able to reveal Christ to us, that it is able to make us wise for salvation, that it is able to equip us for every good work, that we might be prepared to reach out and to actually labor in the field that you've set us in. So Father, we love you. We thank you for Christ and the gospel, and it is in his name and through his precious blood we pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Now, this is an interesting uh, passage. Let me give you a little bit of background information here. We are in 1 Corinthians. We talked about this passage a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the idea of uh, gospel centrality. And we actually even looked at it uh, last week when we talked about loving community. The idea that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is actually about how the body is meant to work together, how we're to love each other, how we're to lay down our lives, to set aside our own selfish desires, that we're to be mature believers who love others. And, and so really, it's kind of an interesting thing that we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians so frequently. And, and I kind of came to the conclusion uh, the other day as I was preparing, it's like Paul is to correct this church in Corinth. And so we're just going to go and listen to everything he has to say on correcting a church. And we'll just start there. That's the aim here. As we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're looking at the idea of labor. And not only that, Paul is aiming to correct something. Let me go ahead and tell you what he's aiming to correct. 
He's aiming to correct a basic thing where people are, 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 are making little uh, cells, little, little groups, little cliques, maybe we would call them today, where we say, well, you know, I, I follow Apollos, I follow I follow Jesus. And, and so there's this idea of, hey, well, I, well we're, we're different than you. We, we kind of branch off. And, and, and Paul, as he always does, corrects this with basic understanding, basic theology on how things actually work. You know, we talked in, uh, when we looked at uh, Authentic Community, we talked about the idea of, hey, if we're, if, we're, um, if we're a local body of believers and we want to actually have fellowship, it starts with love. He corrects not by saying, here, here are things you should do, but instead he corrects by saying, here's how you should think. Here's how you should think. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see him correct this. He's, he's talking about a young man named Apollos, a new believer in the faith. And these people are loving him. I mean, they love Apollos. Apollos is like the greatest preacher of his day. It's easy to follow a great preacher. It's easy to identify yourself with them. And Paul is writing here and saying, you can say you follow whoever you want to. You can say that Apollos is bringing about great fruit in your life. You can say that Paul's bringing about great fruit in your life. But that's simply not true. And let me, let me go back to this because this is important. This is why I chose the language of faithful labor, not fruitful labor. It's crucial that we understand this. Faithful labor is fruitful labor. You cannot judge faithfulness by the fruit that it produces. Let me explain that really quickly to you. I know men who have labored on the mission field for years. I hear their stories of them faithfully sharing Christ with people. I hear their stories of them knocking on doors and being shut out because they, people have refused the gospel and rejected them because of it. And they never saw a single soul come to faith. Is that fruitful labor? The answer is yes. They are faithfully heralding the gospel. That is fruit in and of itself. What we can't do is put the cart before the horse and say it's only faithful labor if it's fruitful labor. Because Apollos and Paul here in this passage are faithfully laboring, but what we have to see is it's God who gives fruit. It's God who gives the growth. And so let's look at this passage. We'll walk through it step by step. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at the strategy of how we long to reach our community with faithful labor. So starting in verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So let's just walk through verse 5 real quick. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Paul is doing what he always does. He asks these rhetorical questions. He's trying to get the reader's mind in the appropriate space. He's trying to try to get them to understand who are these people? What do they actually mean? What do they do? And really what he's saying is that they themselves, in and of themselves, have no value. We'll see that in just a minute. But he's he's going and he's talking about the particular labor that he does. So in verse 6 it says this, I planted. The start to any fruitful or faithful labor starts with the idea of planting seed. That we as believers, if we are called to make disciples, the first step of that is always evangelism. And we cannot divorce the two. They cannot be separated. If we say that we long to make disciples, and that means for some reason that all you care about doing is taking people who are already believers in Christ and you never ever evangelize, you can tell me that all day long. But if there's not a desire to see lost people come to faith in Jesus, it's hard for me to believe you. Look, and I'm jumping ahead here a little bit. My, my greatest joy in life is to watch believers mature in their faith, is to watch them grow in passionate love and, 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 and affection for Jesus. And I've told you this before, I long to watch men that I've trained baptize their children and their families, to baptize those people they've led to the Lord. That's a greater thrill to me than me baptizing. 
Because that's, that's, what the, that's the heart the Lord's given me. And you'll notice this in verse 5. Servants whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. There is unique assignments. But there, there, there are also very clear assignments for each and every individual. Yes, we may have unique assignments. We're going to look at that in a minute. But there are explicit assignments for every individual, for every saint. Do the work of the evangelist. That's what faithful labor looks like. And let me make this, again, so clear on why we call it faithful labor and not fruitful labor. If you come up to me and you tell me that you shared the gospel with 15 people and not a single soul comes to faith, I mean, you, you faithfully did it. Do you think that I'm going to berate you over that? I'm going to lose my mind. Because, my goodness, you're, you're faithfully sharing Jesus. It's not your responsibility to give the growth. It's your responsibility to share. That's faithful labor. And you have that assignment. As a saint in Christ, you're called to evangelize. You're called to faithfully follow Jesus by making disciples. And so that's faithful labor. That's an assignment that the Lord's given you. Those are very clear things. So the idea that we find in verse 6 where Paul's saying, I planted, he's saying, I'm the one who went out. I'm the one who walked into Corinth with the gospel. I spread the seed far and wide so that people would come to faith and trust Jesus. Now, it's very important that we understand this because I also don't want to make you think that you can have fruit apart from faithful labor because that's not, that's not the case at all. Faithful labor is what produces fruit, but it's God who does it. And if there is no labor, no fruit will be produced. Ask any farmer. I'm just not going to sow the seed today. I'm expecting that maybe some corn will show up tomorrow. It's foolishness. We don't assume that anywhere else except in the gospel, where we can just walk by people and we can live our lives in front of them without ever sharing the gospel with them and we'll see people come to faith in Jesus. There's this saint. Oh, I just hate this saying. He said, always preach the gospel, sometimes use words. Beth and I are driving by a school the other day in Memphis and I, my head almost exploded because I remember a time in my life where I really liked that saying. Jesus used words. Paul used words. We are fools if we think that we can be faithful to share the gospel without using words. Planting is the heralding of the gospel. When we look at the four fields that we find in the New Testament, this idea of one sowing, we see it fall on different grounds. But what is this sowing? It is planting the seed. It is sending out the gospel from your mouth. Believing comes through hearing, hearing from the words of Christ. Friends, do not believe for a moment that you will walk by your friends and family members and live an exemplary life before them without sharing the gospel and that one day they will just figure it all out. Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. None of the apostles did that. They faithfully shared the gospel. This is the idea of planting. And Paul says, I walked into Corinth and I brought the gospel. He said, this is the one thing that I'm called to herald. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, I'm not here to come with eloquent words. I'm not here to come with any new wisdom. I'm here to bring you Christ and him crucified. That's the planting. That's the thing that should be ever constantly heralding from our lips. That's what makes labor faithful. Now there's a flip side of this where we've got people who long to be social justice warriors and things of that nature. Look, I, I, I've sat in a class for the last 24 hours hearing about the desperate need of families to love orphans. That doesn't mean that we, because we say, look, my job is to plant this, it doesn't mean that we neglect the orphan or the widow. Instead, it means that we have a, a, a clear call and a purpose in the way that and why we do that. Why do we take orphans into our home? Why do we care for widows? Why do we care for those impoverished? So that we can more faithfully plant so we can reach out, so we can bring people into a relationship with Jesus by bringing them into a relationship so that we might share Jesus with them. And so when Paul's writing, I planted, he's saying, I'm the one who's come, I've sowed the seed, I've preached the gospel. And then he says, it's Apollos watered. 
Apollos watered. I'm going to say this, and I, forgive me if I offend anyone. This is the single most neglected part of the faith that we have today. I mean, we have people who will plant seeds. We really do. And I'm so thankful for them. But discipleship doesn't start it, doesn't, doesn't end at conversion. That's its birth. You see, and at the exact same time, one of the things I love about the way Paul writes this is he planted, and you, you see no arrogance or frustration. Man, why is Apollos building on the foundation that I laid? Instead, he's rejoicing. Like, like there, there are people coming to faith. They're, they're, they're being watered, they're being cared for, and they're growing because God's giving that growth. But, but ultimately, what we see is Apollos actually watering, that there's people being cared for. And I'm, and I'm here to tell you, that, that's the greatest joy in my life is to water the seed that others have sowed and to sow, my, and to, and to sow the gospel seed myself. But, but one of the great joys of the pastor is to watch as not only those whom have been watered, those who have been trained, but they would begin to train others also. That there is actually this idea of discipleship cycles. There are men in here that I meet with weekly. If they never, ever water, then I will tell you that I failed to water. Discipleship always reproduces. It's it's this endless cycle. And so Paul plants, Apollos waters. Now notice verse 6, but God gave the growth. This is why we say faithful labor again. And, 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 And... This is so crucial to understand because if we miss it, there are two things that can happen. Because we'll see this in verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. So what what are Apollos and Paul worthy of here? A pat on the back? Sure. Are they worthy of a little bit of honor? Sure. Are they responsible for the fruit that was produced? No, they aren't. They've been faithful, as they were called to do. But if they were responsible, then that means that they have a part in the glory, that it's theirs to be had. And so when Paul writes this and he says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. He's saying there's not a single thing in Paul or Apollos that deserves glory, honor, or praise, for we did nothing. We planted the seed as we were called to do. We may have watered, but any growth, any fruit that was produced from that ultimately is fruit that has come from the finished work of Jesus in their life. I love First uh, John, I mean, John chapter 5, we, 15, we read it just a minute ago. That if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Can we imagine in a world where we go, we plant, we, we water, and, and God does nothing? What will come of that? It'll be a fruitless labor. It won't even be faithful labor. We'll see that in a moment. But to have faithful labor in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we sow, in the way that we water, it's all rooted in trusting and understanding that it's God who actually gives the growth. Now, this is so important for two reasons. Number one, it makes sure that we do not receive any glory or praise. It's in its proper perspective. It means that when all is said and done, when we see the young man that we've trained, the one that we have poured our lives into, and we see him continue to be faithful all his days, then we look at him and we say, praise God, he's kept him. It also means that down the road, when we share the gospel with people, that, 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 that when we are faithful, when we preach the word, when we are faithful to cling to the truths of scripture, when we proclaim the gospel and we see no fruit from it, no faith, no new life, that we are not mortified and walk away as though we have failed. 
Faithfulness is determined by actually sharing the gospel. The only way that you can be faithless is refusing to participate in the task that God has given you. Now, do you know what this does in the believer? It actually gives, gives him feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I'll never forget a pastor I served under came in one uh, Wednesday afternoon, mortified in tears. And um, he had an evangelism opportunity. He shared the gospel with a guy that he was in line with. And um, he came in and the guy had not come to faith. So I assumed that he was just weeping over his soul. And uh, I, said, I said, brother, you were faithful. And he said, but I wasn't faithful enough. He didn't come to faith in Jesus. Maybe if I would have said this, maybe if I would have said that, maybe if I would have argued the point a little bit differently as if we can argue men into heaven. It's a fool's attempt. It is just as foolish as you standing before Lazarus' tomb and arguing, hey man, um, your DNA is gonna come back to life. You're arguing with him over um, scientific issues, whatever it may be. He's not getting up and living unless God calls him to it. Now, I will say this. Believing comes through hearing, hearing from the words of Christ. He has chosen his church to be the herald of that word. That those who come to faith in Jesus will come to faith in Jesus by hearing the gospel from the saint. We still must be faithful. We are faithful all the while understanding it is God who gives the growth. That way, when all is said and done, we take a step back. Look what, look what God has done. That we say, solely day of glory, to gl- glory to God alone. Only he is worthy of this because only he is actually able to make something grow. Only he is able to call dead men to life. I love that song. I will rise when you call my name. It is a cause and effect situation where it is only when he calls your name that you are able to rise. It is only when he calls you out that you're able to live. And so as we faithfully go and herald the gospel, we do so to give that grand gospel call that God might look at them and draw them into faith, that he might actually give growth. And my prayer for you, saint, as you consider these brief things, that you understand that the Lord has assigned to you very clearly the idea of planting. You are called to this. But you are not called to give life to dead men you can't. And I will not have you bound by feeling like every time you share the gospel and people aren't saved, you walk away mortified like you failed. You did not. You were faithful. You are faithful. And so by God's grace, we plant and we understand that it is nothing that we do to bring about their salvation. We're simply faithful in the task that God has given us and we trust that he is able and that he is sovereign and he is good and he will do what is best for his glory. So neither he who plants nor he who waters anything is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The only one responsible, the only one who deserves glory and praise, renown, fame, is God. He is the one who saves. He does it for his own glory. He does it for his own fame. And so when he acts, the saint gets to rest very comfortably knowing that I've shared the gospel, whether that be that they might hear the famous name of Jesus. They might understand that that there is one who came to seek and save that which was lost. We can look at them and we can say, okay, we've been faithful in this. We're gonna trust that God's gonna do what is good. And if we see them come to faith in Jesus, then we will celebrate all the more because we know that that new soul saved will very loudly sing the praises of Christ. They will not walk away if we have done our job correctly saying, how great was Bruce? They won't because Bruce didn't give them life. The tongue on the name of every single soul saved is Jesus Christ and him crucified, the one who is actually able to give me life. That's the name we herald, and that's the name that each and every soul that we see come to faith in Jesus. We should train them to love that name, 
to, to savor it above everything else because it's what we love. It's what we savor. It's what it's able to make us alive. So God gives the growth. Now, notice in verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. This is a beautiful thing. And we forget this. Part of loving community, part of standing together in the faith means that we labor in the task together. Never, never, you see, one sent out alone. Never. It's two by two. The, one, the only one you see sent out alone is Christ and him crucified because it's a task that only he is able to endure. Only the truly God, truly man is able to save to the uttermost. Only in his name can we be saved. He's the one sent out. But for us, as we go and we labor and we share the gospel with people, we water, he does that with us in community. We are one, we are united in the task because our sole purpose and our heart's cry is Christ and him crucified in his glory. That's the number one cry of our heart. And friends, if we are united in that, then as we sow, as we plant, and as we see that seed watered, we're not gonna look at somebody and say, why are you watering my ground? No, we're gonna rejoice that maybe fruit would be produced from it. We are one. We are united in our desires. We are united in our affections. And so this idea of Paul and Apollos being rooted together, being, being, being one, is one of the beautiful truths of the gospel in the sense that it knits the soul together with saints. Last week we talked about loving community and how it was, can be so easily forgotten. Have you ever labored, maybe shared an office with somebody you didn't like very much? I have. It's miserable labor. But I've also shared an office with people that I love dearly. They provoke me to labor. They push me to work. But at the exact same time, we have great love and affection for one another. And what you find here in 1 Corinthians 3 is this idea that even though Apollos Apollos is watering what Paul had planted, they still have a mutual love and affection for each other to the point where we understand that we are laboring passionately for the gospel. And so we are united in both our end goal and how we do it. The sowing of the seed, the watering of the seed, and the end goal is always God and his glory. And so for us, as we labor, we get to labor within a body of believers. This is the purpose, by the way, of missional communities. The purpose of missional communities is not just so that we can come and we can sit down and we can talk about uh, the sermon or the, or the scriptures, whatever we find ourselves in that day. That's a beautiful thing. I, I, I cherish that. It's an idea of watering. But at the exact same time, if your missional community does not actually do outreach, you're missing half of the missional community. You're missing half of the title. It's a missional community. We work together, we plant seed, we water together so that we can see God give growth and that ultimately we can all praise Jesus together. That's part of a missional community. That's our purpose. We want to see happen in those. And so this idea of a oneness. Now at the exact same time, I would be a fool not to mention that each will receive his wages according to his labor. Verse eight says this, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor. One of the great tragedies of our day is we rarely fix our eyes on what's to come. Rarely. That there is a great hope that we are looking forward to. That there is wages and reward for the faithful laborer. I mean, when was the last time you stopped and thought about your great reward? That when you labor, that provokes you. That's a response. And I, at bare minimum, I know it's true in men. When we know there's a reward, when we know there's something coming, we work harder. And friends, if that reward is your greatest affection, 
how hard will you actually work? And my prayer is that when we understand that there is a wage for this, there is a reward for this, and I am convinced that reward is Christ himself, that we are able to enjoy him supremely forevermore, free from the presence, the power, and the consequence of sin all our days. But if we say we love Christ, that he is our great reward, and we don't labor as those who are longing to receive that great inheritance, then one of two things is happening. Number one, we actually don't have an affection for our reward. We don't actually have an affection for the one who's going to be given to us. That, uh, in, first, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, the uh, inheritance guaranteeing your possessions until you acquire full, or guaranteeing your inheritance until you acquire full possession of it. The Holy Spirit of God is what indwells you, looking forward to the fullness of the presence of God that we get to dwell with for all our days. If that's not your great affection, you won't run well. You won't. And the second part is, you may actually, not, you may actually think that you won't receive it. But rest comfortably, saint. If you've been justified, if you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, if you are being sanctified, if God's working in your life day in and day out, then you can rest very comfortably that there is a wage for you at the end. The same one that justified you, the same one that's sanctifying, will be your great reward when all is said and done. And it should cause us to run passionately and aim for our reward. The last thing is because maybe we value what's here a little too much. We think that it's our treasure, it's fleeting, it'll burn. Sweet saint, do not cherish up your treasures here. Do not store them up. They will fade. They will burn. And so lastly, it says, it says this, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. Notice verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is, that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is really where the source of our faithfulness comes from. We can be faithful in caring for widows and orphans. We can be faithful to do everything that Christ has commanded us to do. But if his name is not on our lips, then once again, that's what establishes what is actually faithful. If we do all of these things, if we look at 1 Corinthians 30, if you give your body to be burned, if you speak in the tongues of angels and of men, if you do all of these things, and apart from the strong desire to see Christ made famous and see your, the other saints, the other members of the body edified and encouraged, see lost people come to faith in Jesus, then ultimately we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. We're white noise. We're white noise. You see, when we look at this passage, this idea of Jesus being the foundation, he is the reason that our labor is faithful. If we labor in him, if we long to see him be made much of, that's what establishes faithful labor. That's what makes it so clear. And at the exact same time, I want to add in this. If he is on your lips, if he is what you are preaching, then I would be stunned that at the end of your life, if you are faithfully laboring, that you never see fruit from it. I want to make that distinction. Yes, the fruit is not the measure of the faithfulness. But understand this, your faithfulness will very likely measure how much fruit you see. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget, I mean, in youth ministry, every, I mean, I, it was painful for me to ask this question. But I knew it to be true. I could look at students who I had taken to do evangelism. And they'd watch someone come to faith in Jesus. And I'd look at them and I said, this is, is, is this not the greatest thrill of your life? I'll never forget one. And he said, everything just changed. He'd experienced in his own life, but at the exact same time as he reached out with the gospel, and there's a renewed sense of the power of the gospel when you see lost people come to faith, when you see dead men live. And I'll never forget seeing this guy come to faith. He said, why don't we do that? He said, I've been in this church for 
at that time, 17 years. He said, no one's ever taken me to share the gospel. No one's, I've, ne- I've never seen this. It's the first time it's rained in here. Now we know what it sounds like. Uh, that was interesting. And, but, I, but I looked at him and I said, it's probably because they, they don't see it. See, I'm convinced that once you see a soul saved, once you see the fruit of your faithful labor, it, it inspires more labor. That's the only end result. As we, we labor in the field, we, we faithfully sow the seed, we see it watered, we, and we see God give the growth, and all of a sudden, you can't help but sow more seed. You can't help but long to water. You can't help but see... And long to see other people come to faith. It drives your actions because all of a sudden you've seen the true power of the gospel to see the most wicked men, dead in their sin, made alive. And all of a sudden we're able to say, yes, I, I want this. This is the foundation that I have and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to share the gospel because I know that if we're faithful to do this, then we will actually see fruit from it, that fruit will come. But if you don't bear this name, you can labor all your days. And I will tell you now, you will see no eternal fruit. No eternal fruit. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. And you can go heralding morality and see people made moral. You can go longing to see the family restored. Sure, maybe you'll see a couple or two. But it will not change their eternal destination. Faithful labor is building upon and laying the foundation of Christ and him crucified, longing to see God give growth as we sow and as we water. And lastly, it is trusting. It is trusting that there is indeed a reward for our labor. Now let me give you four ways really quickly how we want to do that inside of Mercy Hill because this is crucial. Um, Hey, Ben, can you help me out? You're the best. All right. So let me talk about this really quickly. This is important. This is how we want to do missions, how we want to do uh, reaching out into our community, how we want to labor. Now, this is important for us to understand because this, this is really, like I said, this is the feet behind everything we do. And there's four things we want to do, and they kind of are a fun little wheel, right? They're a cool wheel. Okay, good. Um, and so what you've got here are, th- are three major things that lead into one, right? So you've got mission. The very first thing that we are called to do with the gospel, to be faithful laborers or to be as Paul is, to sow the seed, to go out and to proclaim the gospel, to see people come to faith in Jesus. This looks like a thousand different things, but there is one central theme in mission. It is, once again, the name of Christ. It is making sure that we are bearing that name, that he is our foundation, that he is our cornerstone, that he and the gospel are the seed that we sow. Mission can look like actively being involved in your community. That means when you go to work on a Monday morning, that the purpose of you being there is not to make some money. The purpose of you being anywhere in God's providence is that you might faithfully be a witness to his glory and fame. Do not be mistaken. There are things that God has given us to do in our lives, but each and every one of them are are intended to bring him glory and fame. That goes down as far as simply eating and drinking. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That means when you labor, you do so for the purpose of, of, of making Jesus famous where you work. That's mission. That looks like caring for the widow and the orphan. That looks like being looking after and longing to help the least of these, but you do so not to feel good about yourself, but to bring the gospel to them, to see them come to faith. Because if we simply make people more comfortable on their way to hell, we have done nothing for them. 
our heart, our longing is to see people come to faith in Jesus. That is our mission. It is actively seeking out those who do not know Jesus, building a relationship with them, sharing Christ with them, and longing to see God give growth in that area. It is faithfully sowing, and it is faithfully watering. Now, the watering portion of this is discipleship. Once again, I mentioned that I think the number one thing lacking in the church today is this idea of, of Apollos watering. Immature believers are not something we long to present. Indeed, we find very clearly in the scriptures that we long to present everyone mature in Christ. The great cry of hopefully every pastor and every saint is that when we see people come to faith in Jesus, our goal is to see them presented in maturity to him. Here, here's this mature man in the faith that I've trained, Lord. I know that you're, you gave the growth. I've simply brought to him the word of God that you might actually sow that so that you might give growth from it. And that's, that's what we long to do. And friends, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the great pains that I find is for some reason, we don't long to see people mature. And I'll confess to you as a pastor, as odd as this may seem, sometimes it's easier to pastor an immature body. It just, it just can be. They don't know. So I can say whatever I want. I can be comfortable up here. If I say something completely wrong, you're going to be oblivious to it. That's not what we want. That's not what Jesus wants. He wants mature believers. And so we train people that they might be mature in their faith, that they might train others also. And the second reason we do discipleship is it's the single best means of evangelism. It's the single best means of evangelism. If I long to see my community impacted, that means I train one man, two men, three men, four men. That means men. It means you train your family. It is not the church's responsibility to disciple your children. We aid. The church's responsibility is to disciple you, that you might faithfully disciple your children, that you might love your wife like Christ loved the church. It's not our responsibility. We long to see it. And so discipleship, it finds itself working its way out in the local body of believers. It finds itself working, working itself out in the family. And by God's grace, perhaps it finds itself working itself out family to family, that God would knit families together through the means of discipleship. I've seen it. I've been a part of it. My soul has been knit to so many families through this process. It's the greatest joy of my life. So we long to see discipleship happen. And let me say this, just as an aside. Man, if you long to disciple others, but you haven't been discipled, you just come talk to me. We'll find somebody, or I'll do it. Anyway, discipleship, community. That this goes back to this idea of loving community. If we can find people, see them come to faith in Jesus, see them trained, they will love the community of the church. And I will not ever rule out the local church as a means of mission. I would argue that it is the single, single thing that God has ordained for mission in the world. That means that the local church, the community that we have here, is meant to impact its surrounding area. And that means the community, the relationships that we have here should actually be found outside of the local church as well. That it shouldn't be this thing where we gather on Sunday morning and there's no more community here. One of the great, uh, one of the most upsetting things I've heard recently is I was listening to a podcast on um, the, excuse me, LBGTQ community. And as I was listening to that, one of the ladies who had been saved from that said the hardest thing the church has to do is love them more than the LBGTQ community did. That's foolishness. How is it 
that someone who can come to faith in Jesus finds a deeper sense of community in sin than they can find in the church, ones who are united in Christ. Lastly, worship. The heart cry of every sowing of the seed, of every watering, of every caring for your family small group Bible study in your home on a Monday night, of, 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 of reaching out to the least of these, is the praise of Christ. We mentioned the first time we talked about what it means to make disciples, that the grand motivator should be love for Jesus and his glory. This time right here, It's meant to be a time for those who have received Christ, that have come to faith in him, that love him, for us to come together and sing loudly the praises of Jesus together because we want to love him together with his saints. That the end result is actually another soul singing around his throne. That has to be the cry of our heart. And I am convinced of this, that what you find is if people actually long to worship, just they're passionate for his glory, then you will watch as this circle just continues. You will watch as those who have come to faith in Jesus, they worship and they love him dearly and desperately they can't help but be they can't help but speak of him they can't help but share him they can't help but be on mission and once they've seen someone come to faith in Jesus you will watch them long to disciple and present them mature in Christ that you will see them being plugged into a community where they love each other deeply because of what Christ has done for them and the cycle will just continue it is a simple thing it is a biblical thing it is not grand it is not program based it is simply trusting that the saint will actually do what God's called him to do One of the things you've heard me say before is we long to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and not steal the ministry from them. Part of the value of, uh, the reason this is a value is not because we want to see um, the church as a whole, the pastors labor. Yes, we're here. We long to labor. But we can't do it. That every pastor in this county cannot do it. But if the saints will take very seriously the commands of God in Christ, then I'm convinced what you will find is a church that is healthy and a community that has a deep love and passion for the glory of God that as they faithfully share Him, at bare minimum, at bare minimum, Olive Branch, DeSoto County, wherever, may be the single most difficult place to go to hell from because there's ever constantly a saint knocking on your door. Have you heard about Christ? So my prayer is for you, that not only us as Mercy Hill Church, that we would long to be about mission, long to be about uh, discipleship and community and worship, but that that would find itself deeply rooted in every single saint, that we as individuals would love these things, that would embody these things and put feet to them, because we long for the glory of God in our life, and we trust that he is faithful to give wages to his workmen.